another episode of Dimming the Gaslight, our healing journey from narcissistic abuse. My name is Mac, and I want to welcome you guys into another episode. Um, before we get started, um, I really want to thank you guys, uh, everybody who is listening to this. Um, I am blown away by how amazing you guys are, um, for real. Uh, every single day, I'm talking to people, um, and they're sharing their stories with me. Um, people are recording their stories with me. People are asking me follow-up questions on Instagram. Um, this is crazy. This is crazy. I didn't know what to expect when I started this podcast. And, um, I am really grateful to have this community of people. Um, you know, there was a guy this week who actually said to me that this community that he's met of people on like Instagram, um, who have experienced NPD have been more supportive to him than his own family. And that statement is just amazing to me because that's really what we all need right now. Um, you know, we all understand each other in a way that, you know, normal people who haven't experienced this kind of abuse could never understand us. Um, and I really feel so lucky to have met the people that I've met who have gone through this. Um, and I hope I get a chance to meet all of you guys because you guys are all changing my life. Um, and I really, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you. Um, as always, uh, I want to remind you guys to follow me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Um, and as I mentioned, if you want to be on the show, um, email me at dimming the gaslight at gmail.com. Um, I am going to start airing some of these episodes of the people that I have interviewed. Um, and I'm telling you now, you guys are going to be blown away by these interviews. It's really fun. It's really cool. It's really a low pressure conversation. And, uh, if you want to be on the show, get in touch with me, you know, email Instagram. Let's make it happen. Um, so let's get to the next episode, guys. Um, I ended my last episode uh, on a cliffhanger. And um, the cliffhanger that I ended it on is I mentioned that my next gave me an ultimatum. And the ultimatum that she gave me was that I had to buy her a home in the town she grew up in, which I called Pleasantville, which a week later I'm still giggling about how I called it Pleasantville because um, that's just such a funny name because it is Pleasantville. And uh, the home, you know, the, the, the town that she grew up in is only like four miles from her parents' house, like three miles from her job. Um, and if I didn't buy this house, she was going to divorce me and take my kids. And at the time... That would have been my worst nightmare. Um, so as you can expect, I did. I bought the house. Um, and again, town she grew up in, right next to her parents, who if you listen to the prior episodes, her family and, and my relationship has been strained forever. Um, and the house was at the ceiling of what we were pre-approved for. Um, so I spent you know, close to my life savings on this house. Um, and this was back in May of 2021. So at the time of this recording, we are in January of 2022. So it wasn't that long, um, that I was in the house. So we closed and we moved in, um, and to move out of our old house, uh, we were renting a home and to move out, we, she, had isolated so many people from our lives in terms of my friends and family and, and so many people that I couldn't get 
anybody to help us move. And I couldn't afford a moving company because I, like I said, I was just spending my life savings on this new house. Um, I did actually get one friend who was willing to help. Um, and she couldn't find anybody, not her family, not she as a brother wouldn't help, no friends, no one would help her. The only one who would help her was her 65-year-old father. Um, so between myself, my friend, uh, her, and her father, um, the moving day took like 18 hours. And on top of it, the four of us had to manage my five-year-old and three-year-old because no one else would help. Actually, wait a second. That's not true. I had an aunt who showed up who um, babysat my kids for a little bit. Um, so she helped. Um, but like, you know, her mom, who if uh, you've listened to prior episodes, um, who's just a wonderful person, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> she showed up. She took one look at the situation and said, nope. Nope, didn't even come in the house, didn't say hi, didn't check on the grandkids, not how can I help, no nothing. She came, she pulled up to the front of the house. Uh, she said that she had to get something out of, uh, you know, her husband's car. You know, my nexus, my nexus father had to get something out of the car and left. And absolutely no help, no what can I do, no hi, no how's it going, nothing. Um, she just left. So, yeah, um, 18 hours of moving. And thank God for my friend who helped. Um, buddy, if you're out there listening, you know who you are. I'm, you know, protecting people's anonymity and stuff. But if you're listening, buddy, you know I love you and, and thank you for helping. Um, I couldn't have done it without you, for real. Um, so I've always hated the town that she grew up in. She always wanted to tell me how desirable the town that she grew up in was. But um, there's like, it's a one lane road to get in and out of this town. And it's like in this, in the middle of nowhere area, um, in the sticks, you know, I, I like kind of like a suburbia feel with like maybe like a downtown area, but this was like country. This was in the middle of nowhere, you know? Um, so I never really, you know, it was like a lake community, which was cool, but like, I don't know. It's just, I had a lot of resentments towards her. So it probably contributed to the fact that I just didn't want to live in the town. Um, but I had to do what I had to do in order to keep my kids. Um, so we moved in and, uh, right away, it's kind of funny. My kids with the influence of my next, uh, coined the prior owner of the house, the gross lady. <laughs> and she was the gross lady. Her reputation was that because she, everybody on the block would say like, she never really left her home in 20 years. And the, you know, the neighbors never really knew her. And, um, like, like my next's mother, you know, she was the kind of person who smoked inside all day and all night. And she had all these like animals and dogs and cats and, you know, um, fur all over the house and stuff like that. And, um, it was funny when we closed on the house, well, it's not funny really in retrospect now, but the realtor kind of like, um, gave us this warning and she said the contract at closing said that the house had to be, um, quote unquote, broom clean, which basically means that you could take a broom from one side of the other on the floor without touching anything. But this was her forewarning of saying like the lady moved out, but this place is a wreck. Okay. So it was dirty and dusty and just gross. And, um, we also, we bypassed 
inspections on the house because her father is a super, super handy guy. I can't take that away from him. Her father is a super handy guy, like kind of um, jack of all trades type of guy. And we trusted him to do the inspection on the house. And he said there was no water damage and the roof was good and, you know, no flooding in the basement and all kinds of different stuff. Um, But we trusted him. And then we also, um, my nex's brother, uh, had bought a house in the town maybe a year or two prior. And he gave us um, everything. There's no um, town sewer. It's all um, septic. So he gave us a referral from a septic guy that he used, um, which was also his friend. Um, And we'll get to that in a little bit uh, when it comes to the septic. So um, inside the house, when we had looked at it, there were like wall-to-wall area rugs um, when we saw the house. And we came to find out that the reason for this is because the quote-unquote gross lady that lived there before had a lot of animals and they had peed on the floor. Um, and it left these big, dark stains on these hard wood floors. And if you know anything about wood during the time of coronavirus, um, the cost of wood is so expensive. And we had, we, you know, when we were looking at the house, we couldn't ask her to remove all the area rugs, but there were these deep, dark pea stains from the animals on the hardwood floors. Um, so we researched, we didn't have the money to replace the floors. Um, so we researched how to remove these pet stains from the hardwood floors. And we came to find out if you soak the floors in hydrogen peroxide, um, on like on a paper towel, it will help to pull out the urine. So these paper towels would be like bright yellow from the hydrogen peroxide that was pulling the urine out of the floors. And honestly, it worked out really well. And I, and I will give it to my next. I mean, listen, this was her house. This was the house she wanted. So she went to town on working on this thing. So she would be there at like 5 a.m., um, you know, trying to get the pee stains out of the hardwood floors. And then... Um, we, well, she, I mentioned in a prior podcast, I am not a handyman, okay? I'm not a handyman at all, but she actually is very handy. Um, and I mentioned that like, you know, she used to ride like motorcycles and she had jet skis and stuff. So she could work on things. She was a badass chick like that. And she could work on things. That's not really my forte. You know, I admit it's not. I would love to learn and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask how I can contribute, but it's not really my thing. Um but she and her father demolished the kitchen. Um, and I paid for all new cabinets, all new appliances. Um, you know, they installed them actually. Um, but the house, when we moved into it, it was months away from being move-in ready, but we didn't want to pay like rent in the first house and the mortgage on this house. So we like roughed it for, almost 50 days maybe. And when I say roughed it, like, so we put, um, we were living out of the living room and we had set up like a a mini fridge and like an electric skillet and a microwave and stuff like that. And we didn't have a kitchen. So like, um, I would be like, I do all the cooking in the house. I do all, you know, like the, the cleanup and stuff like that. So I'd be like making eggs, you know, in an electric skillet on top of like, the box of an uninstalled toilet bowl. (laughs) And uh, I would have to go and take the electric skillet after we were done with the eggs and clean it out in the bathtub and then give the kids a bath. Like that's how we were living for like a solid 50 days. And um, 
living like that, we were at each other's throats because it was just uncomfortable. And I clearly wasn't happy because this isn't, this wasn't my choice. She wanted to live in this house. And, um, you know, really what I thought is if I, I thought if I bought this house, right, this is what she really wanted. And I had given her the marriage. I had given her the kids. And I thought, if I can't make this work in a house that I buy you, in the town you grew up in, right by your family, right by your job, if I couldn't make it work here, I can't make it work anywhere. And I that thought crossed my mind a few times. Um, so this next story, it's funny. Um, I took off of work the, the week we moved in um, to kind of just, you know, work around the house get situated, get a feel for things, move some stuff in. And um, while I did, I had the kids during the day. And uh, so I, as I mentioned, we moved into a lake community and there was a nice lake there. And uh, I, the first week I took off, I took the kids down to the lake and it was still like off season. Okay. It was May, right? So it wasn't like summertime quite yet, but it was warm. And um, I was with the kids and they were just like walking by the water or whatever. And all of a sudden I notice snakes in the water and I'm like, what the hell? And I have no phobias in life. I have no phobias in life. I'm not afraid of public speaking. (laughs) I'm not afraid of being buried alive. I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of nothing. I am terrified of snakes. I don't know what it is. I don't know where I got the phobia from, but I am terrified of snakes. And I had just bought a house in this town and there are snakes swimming in the water. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. Okay. Then there was this wheel as part of like a filtration system part of the lake and the wheel would turn and it would get rid of some of the debris and the leaves and the sticks and stuff. And there was a box, like a control panel for this wheel. And it was like a covered box. And if you looked at the box, there was a snake that was living inside of this box because it's warm. When the wheel turns, it's warm. And the snake would live in there. And I'm not joking. I can post pictures. Maybe I'll post them to Instagram. Um, this snake was huge. The size of a baseball bat, um, four or five feet long. And I nicknamed this lake, which I, I bought a lake community in a beautiful town. And I nicknamed it Snake Lake. And I was terrified to go into it after I just spent my life savings on this lake. because I mean, on this house. Because of Snake Lake. Um, so I rush home and I tell my, you know, wife, I'm like, you know about my phobia with snakes. I was like, I bought a freaking house and there is, so, um, I tried to talk to like the environmental committee of the lake and like, people were like, oh yeah, we know about this. They know about it. They don't care. And I'm sure there's people listening to this who are like, oh yeah, I swim with, you know, snakes in the lake and stuff like that. It just freaked me out. Okay. Whatever. I'll, I'll move on with the story, but it freaked me out. So we move in. Uh, we're still working on the house. There's all kinds of different stuff. And, um, like I said, we demolished the kitchen. I spent, I'm not even going to tell you so much. You guys know how much cabinets and appliances and all this stuff are after I spent my whole life savings on this house. And then about three weeks after we move in, um, the septic fails. 
<laughs> and as I mentioned, we used her brother um, as a referral for the septic guy who was his friend, and the septic failed. And the guy, the, the septic inspector, didn't want to take any responsibility for it failing. And then, um, if you guys remember towards like, well, I don't know where you are in the, in the world listening to this, but if you remember towards the end of the summer of 2021, on the East Coast, we had two hurricanes. And these hurricanes, we didn't realize that the end of the gutters to the home were buried underground. So what we had to do, what I had to do, is essentially it looked like graves in the backyard because I had to dig out the end of the pipes to the gutters. So I would dig six feet into the ground for days, days, to uncover the blocked pipage so it wouldn't flood our backyard. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. So there was this one day that I'm sitting there and I'm digging out um, the end of a pipe and um, there was a neighbor who was helping um, another neighbor fix the, the roof of his shed, okay? And the neighbor who was helping the other neighbor fix the roof of his shed was a plumber and he lived down the street and he said he would help us with a plumbing issue that we had. And um, her father was helping me dig out the end of this pipe. And her father yelled over to the neighbor. He said, hey, are you going to come by later and help us with the plumbing issue? And um, the neighbor goes, he said something along the lines of like, oh, I see Mac over there. I think he, you know, he'll give you all the help you need or something like that. And her father goes, oh, Mac's still trying to figure out which side of the shovel to hold. Like he said some smart ass shit like that. And I like looked at him and I was like, that's freaking a snotty thing to say. And then um, later on, uh, so we were having like a, uh, it was like the beginning of October and we were having a um, party for the kids. And there's this, uh, there's a show on Netflix called Spookly the Square Pumpkin. And uh, Spookly's ba basically it's a story about a, a square pumpkin that doesn't fit in and all the other pumpkins are mean to him and it's a lesson about being nice to people who don't fit in. Anyway, um, we were having a party with the kids and their friends for sp uh, like a Spookly to Square Pumpkin Day. So I went to Walmart to pick up snacks and all the stuff for, for the party and um, while I was out um, – my next messaged me that the dishwasher was breaking or something. And I said, well, I'm not there and there's nothing I can do. I said, you know, do what I would do because I'm not like, I keep saying I'm not a fix it guy. I said, just, I would just YouTube it, find out the model of the dishwasher, find out what's going wrong and YouTube it. So she did. And then she sends a message to, um, me and her dad in a text message. And she, she said in the text message, she said, add dishwasher repair girl to my resume or something like that. And her dad in the text message goes, what are you going to add to Mac's resume? And I was like, go fuck yourself, bro. Like, what are you taking shots at me for? Like you got, first of all, my next know who knows who she married. I admit it, you know, as a man, I just wasn't taught, you know, I just wasn't taught how to be a handyman. Just wasn't my thing, you know? And, uh, you know, I would just pay to have things fixed. That's the way I work. Um, 
you know, and I was lucky that my ex could do that, but you know, not for nothing. I felt like this is the home she wanted. This was the square peg in a round hole, round hole that she forced her way into. And if she wanted this house, I, if she wanted to fix it up, she could fix it up, you know? And I just paid for it. I, I was the one who was funding it. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I had to dig out pipes and, uh, you know, there was all kinds of, you know, throwing away the old, um, uh, kitchen cabinets and stuff and, you know, renting dumpsters. And, you know, um, I dug out these huge, huge, huge trees in the front of the house that took like eight hours and, you know, ropes and pulleys. And it was just grueling. And man, we put so much effort into that house, so much effort into that house. And I would look at her at the end of the day and I would be like, are you happy that you're here? And of course she would say yes, you know? And I, and I'd be like, okay. And really what I was asking is like, do you see like what I'm, I'm giving you, like what I'm sacrificing, what I'm willing to do for this family and for you? And I never got that. And I never got anything in return. And then like, I would find myself at night, you know, like we would be exhausted from all the work we'd be doing all day. And we would lay in bed and, you know, there was no intimacy, nothing would happen. And I would be laying there like, you know, I would feel like it should be romantic for a husband and wife to be working on a house together. And she would just go to bed and she, you know, there, there was no camaraderie. There was no, you know, this is what I want. It was, yeah, this is our house and we got to work on it and that's it. And Whatever. So, um, all right. This is an important story. Okay. Um, so we took a break from some of the work we were doing. And, uh, as I mentioned, it was Halloween time. We went to this pumpkin picking thing and it was like almost like a carnival, um, with like carnival rides meets like a pumpkin patch and like a haunted house and that kind of thing. It was cool. It was really a cool thing. And, um, we went with, um, our kids and we went with some of the kids friends and uh, we had met this other family and um, one of the other kids that's friends with my son, um, you know, they all rode on the rides and they got their cotton candy and they got all their food and stuff. And it was getting later in the day. And this one kid starts throwing a temper tantrum because he wants to go on the swings and his mom won't let him go on the swings. Okay. And, um, so the little kid, he's probably like four years old, goes to his mom and he goes, you're a bad mom. And the woman gets down and she gets like eye level with the kid and goes, don't you ever call me a bad mom. She's like, I took you to this carnival. I bought you your cotton candy. I let you ride all the rides. Like a bad mom doesn't do this for her kid. A bob, bad mom doesn't take you here. Okay. And, and I personally thought that this woman handled this extremely, extremely well. Okay. And I can even recall kind of like watching her do this and looking around and there were strangers because this kid was really throwing a tantrum and there were strangers and I were our eyes would meet and we would give this like nod of approval. Like, yeah, this woman's really handling it really well. Like she's, she's disciplining her kid. She's not screaming at him. She's not smacking him around, but she's talking to this kid 
and like not letting him get away with his temper tantrum. And I could just remember like me and, and like strangers like nodding this like seal of approval, right? And I look at my next. And my next is kind of like eye level with our kids, but she's glaring up at me like with those reptilian eyes that we hear about on Instagram. And she's just staring daggers through me. And I'm like, what's the matter? And she goes, well, what do you think about this? And I said, I think she's handling it really well. And she goes, I'm not a bad mom, Mac. And I was like, what? I said, I didn't say you were a bad mom. I said, she's handling it really well. She goes, all right, you need to calm down. And I was like, I'm not doing anything. All I'm saying is she's handling it well. She's like, please do not cause a scene. I'm like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I don't know why you're doing this. And I'm getting escalated. I'm getting angry because I'm not getting mad. All I'm telling you is that she handled it well. I'm answering your questions. And she scoops the kids up like she's like protecting them from me and like removes them from the situation like I'm yelling at her. And I don't even know what the hell just happened. All I said was she's handling this well. But this is after like a long litany of like just really bad times between us. And so many, we, we, we find out with, with narcissism that they ruin so many good times. So I came home. I remembered that at one time, um, the word gaslighting. And I was like, that whole situation with the bad mom, that didn't happen. I didn't call you a bad mom. I didn't call you a bad mom. And I was like... I went back and I mentioned in the previous episode that I was into this, this band and the name of the band was called the Gaslight Anthem. And being into this band made me research the word gaslighting, but I never came across narcissistic abuse. And I sat, I got home, I sat down on the couch later that night and I was like, that was gaslighting. And I was like, what the fuck was that about? And I Googled gaslighting and I start reading about gaslighting. And then I see the word narcissist and I go, the fuck is this? And I always thought narcissist meant extreme vanity. And so I start reading about narcissism and I go, huh? And then I see narcissistic personality disorder. And I wish you could see me right now because I'm like scrunching my nose up and um, my eyes are my lowering my eyebrows and I'm just kind of getting really uncomfortable as I'm telling this. And I'm just reading. And I'm reading about gaslighting and narcissistic personality disorder and future faking and all these terms and characteristics of a narcissist. And as I'm reading it, I'm going, oh my God, oh my God. I always knew there was something. I always knew there was something. And could this be it? And I'm just reading and I'm reading and I'm going, oh my God, oh my God. And I swear to God, um, it was almost like I had blinders on and things went really blurry. And I, at the expense of sounding dramatic, it felt like the walls were closing in on me. And so I was in the basement reading this and I was down there for probably about two, two and a half hours reading, 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 reading. And I came upstairs and I think she was in the kitchen, like giving the kids chicken nuggets or something. 
And I walked probably like 10 feet away from the kitchen and the kids were at the counter and she was in the kitchen and I just stood there with my hands in my pockets and I stared at her and I said nothing. And I go, oh my God, I have been in a relationship with a narcissist for nine years. And I looked at her and I didn't feel like I even knew who she was. Um, and I was like, oh my God. So um, when I found this out, uh, there was a lot of sadness, obviously. But the first or maybe like the immediate reaction that I had was, can this be fixed? You know, she, I mentioned in a previous episode that she accused me of being bipolar. Was there some sort of medication I can get her on? Is there some sort of psychotherapy that like, I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to save this family that I wanted so bad. I'm willing to go to therapy. I'm willing to do it. What can I do? And everything I read said, run, run and don't look back. And I said, no, this is, this is the mother of my children. Even after all the things she's put me through, I can't leave them. I can't leave this. And everything said, don't go to therapy with them. And I learned about triangulation. And I said, oh my God, that's completely my experience. And so I researched and I researched and I researched. And I called um, a friend of mine, you know, that I've, that I've known um, forever. I've known him, not forever, but I've known him for like 15 years maybe. And I confided in him what I had found. And he, his wife told me that her caregivers growing up, she had experience with narcissism. And I was like, that is insane. I said, are you sure? And she would tell me some of the stories. I was like, oh my God. And she would relate to the gaslighting and she would relate to just so much stuff. And I would say, oh my God, that's so my experience. And um, so my decision became to educate myself as much as I possibly could on the subject. But I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't see leaving. I couldn't see leaving. And I would tell my friend, I would say, this could be years before I'm willing to leave. This could be years. Um, and then I, um, so I came across, one of the things I like to do with researching is I like to look at podcasts. Um, and I came across a podcast and the name of the podcast was called Surviving the Covert Narcissist. And it was a podcast about a male perspective about a female narcissist and the guy's name was Phil and Phil was doing this podcast from his perspective and I would listen to this podcast every night, every single night I would lay down on the couch and I would put my headphones in and I would listen to this podcast and I would say, oh my God, like I can relate so much to everything this guy is saying, all these feelings, all this, you know, 
just animosity and all this uncertainty and I could relate and I could relate and I could relate. So I got like into a lot of this guy's episodes and I decided to email the guy. And I said in his email to, to this guy, I said, you know, um, I just discovered narcissism. I think I just discovered narcissism. And I was like, I have two small kids. And one thing you don't touch on on your podcast is how did you ever get the courage to leave your kids? And I emailed this guy and uh, I never heard back. I never heard back. Um, but hold that thought. So I, in deciding to talk to my friend, said, he told me, you need to start recording conversations with your narcissist. And I was like, really? And I, he's like, yeah. He goes, you live in New Jersey and New Jersey is a one party state. And he knew this. And he said, the reason it's called a one party state is that because you can record somebody without their knowledge, it is allowed. And I was like, okay. And I Googled it and I found out he was right. So I started recording our conversations. Okay. I did it to verify that she would say things. And then the next time I would talk to her, the conversation would be completely different. And I'd be like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? I know I'm not crazy. I know I'm not crazy. That's not the story you told two days ago. So things kind of came to a head with her and I. Um, and it was my daughter's birthday, okay? And we had rented out like a gymnastics place for my daughter's birthday. And we invited our her, their friends and everything. And um, I had already known, keep in mind, I had already come across this discovery that she was a narcissist. And you know how I feel about her family if you've listened to past episodes. So at this party, her brother, okay, is the most mannerless asshole I've ever met in my life. And the reason I say that is because the guy would come to my house, right? And I'm, I'm actually a very good cook. Um, I cook for her family. You know, I would make like – one of my favorite things to make for them was like be like linguine and, and – uh, and shrimp or like I can make this – it's like this chicken cutlet pizza. It's like – it's no – there's no dough to it. It's like it's just like a chicken cutlet and it's pizza. It's really good. It's like a chicken parm pizza. Anyway, I'm always cooking for her family and stuff like that and like her brother would come over and he doesn't – he comes into my home. He never says hi. He never says bye. He never says hi. How are you doing? Never has a conversation with me. It's just they come in. They eat. They don't spend any time with my kids. They just get up and leave and they're just mannerless, her whole family but her brother especially. Anyway, so we had this birthday party for um, my daughter and it was at this gymnastics place. I had already known that they were narcissists and I was already walking on eggshells, but I was already pissed that I had gone through all the stuff that I had gone through. And he comes to this birthday party and he just doesn't say hello or goodbye to me. He doesn't say anything to me. And I'm like just piecing together all the, the, the puzzle of all the shit that I've gone through for years and years and years. And um, so the party's over. And I'm standing with like the manager of this gymnastic place, uh, this gymnastics place, and I'm paying the guy. And there's like a worker on my right and there's a worker on my left, like cleaning up the party plates and the party hats and stuff like that. And the brother walks right up to the workers on either side of me and shakes their hand and says, thanks for a great party. And then goes to the other worker and goes, thanks for a great party. And then just walks out and doesn't say anything to me. And I'm like, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. I, I, it just, it pissed me off so much. And, um, 
So on the way home, I tell my next, I was like, can I tell you what your brother did? And she's like, what? I was like, he doesn't even say hi. He doesn't say bye. And he goes and he shakes the worker's hands. and doesn't even, like, he's got no manners. The guy's got no manners whatsoever. And so my wife and my wife and her sister-in-law, okay, her brother's wife, they hate each other, okay, because no one in a narcissist family is ever good enough for her brother, okay? So the brother's wife and my wife, they hate each other's guts, okay? And um, they're always at each other's throats. They're always fighting, but then they're always like trying to sweep things under the carpet and act like, oh, nothing happened. And then like they'll have some fight and they'll be at each other's throats for three months and then come back and go, oh, I love you, I love you. Like it's just, it's draining and it's a joke. Anyway, so I hope you can follow this story. The, the, my wife's, sister-in-law asked us to keep a bike in our garage for my wife's brother. And the bike was supposed to be for Christmas. Mind you, this is in the middle of October. So we have all these issues going on with the house and flooding and just awful stuff. And they're asking us to keep a bike in the garage. And so he had just disrespected me. And Every time I'm working in the garage and I'm trying to fix this house, I have to move this bike out of the garage or I have to move, I have to work around this bike. And I'm like, why do I have to do this? The guy can't even say hello to me. He can't even say hello to me, but I got to work around his bike. I was like, like, I don't got bigger things to, to do. So, um, I tell my, my, my next, I was like, tell your brother to get his bike out of my garage. And... <laughs> Her parents come over and listen, this was me just at my wits end. I go to her parents and I go, do you got any room in the back of your trunk? And they go, yeah, why? And I go, take your son's bike out of my garage. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, take it out of my garage. And at this point I was just, I had it. I've had it with just everything. You know, I had fixed up a house. I had done everything. And now I know she's a narcissist and I just, I guess I just snapped. And I said, get this bike out of my garage. And I took the bike and I put it in my driveway. And I said, this is not going back out of my garage. Wheel it up and put it in your back of your car. To her parents, I said this. And I just said, I'm sticking up for myself. Forget it. And um, so they did. But it, it caused this big thing. Uh, oh, and her mother said, her jerky mother goes, um, what's the problem or something? I was like, your son has no manners. I was like, if you can't say hello and goodbye to me on my own daughter's birthday, then like, I'm not keeping a bike in the thing and her in my garage. And her her mother goes, well, Mac, you didn't say hi to me. And I looked at the mother. I go, get out of my house. Get out. Get out of my house. I couldn't take it anymore with her family after all they've put me through. I said, get out of my house. I was like, you know, you're not even good to my my kids. You you, you don't even see your grandkids. Like they're they're useless. Like they they're just useless. Um, and I just had had it. So, um, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay. I continued recording every conversation from that day for the next two weeks. And for the next two weeks, it was nothing but the end of the road saying, we need to get a divorce. We need to get a divorce. Um, and I recorded her 
screaming. I recorded her lying. I recorded her blocking me from leaving rooms and me asking to leave. Um, I recorded her accusing me of being on drugs. I recorded just so much stuff. So I, I recorded her saying um, she's afraid of having no money. I recorded so much stuff. I have maybe like 40 recordings. Um, and then um, it was the day before Halloween. And um, oh, well, before Halloween, my son watches all these YouTube videos um, of like just – he, he watches really stupid stuff on YouTube of like, you know, kids hunting for like pond monsters and stuff like that. And um, there was this guy in the YouTube video who was wearing um, a mask and it looks like a Phantom of the Opera mask. If you follow me on, on Instagram, you may have seen me wearing this mask. Okay. The mask is actually from a movie called V for Vendetta, if you've never seen the movie. And V for Vendetta is this really badass movie about getting revenge, okay? And I said to my son, I was like, oh, who's that in your video? And my son goes, oh, that's the Game Master. And I was like, oh, the Game Master is cool looking. He goes, yeah, I like the Game Master. I said, would you like Daddy to be the Game Master for Halloween? And he goes, yeah. And I said, okay. So I bought this mask, and it was the day before Halloween. And we went to what's called a trunk or treat. If you don't know what a trunk or treat is, it's essentially where people decorate the backs of their cars. Um, and they have like a theme and it might be like skeletons or whatever. But people – it's just parents' lame way of not letting people go trick – or their kids go trick or treating because I guess they think it's unsafe or whatever. I think trunk or treating is lame. But we went to a trunk or treating party, okay? And I dressed up like the quote unquote game master for Halloween with a black, just all in black head to toe with a black hoodie pulled over with this mask. Okay. And like I said, this movie, it's all about payback and revenge. And she had watched the movie with me, but she wasn't there for the conversation about the game master. So I never told her what I was going to be for Halloween and it's funny because she came out dressed like a princess for Halloween and I came out with this mask on and it was creepy. It was so creepy. But this was my statement. This was my I'm not going to take your shit anymore statement. Um, and she had seen the movie with me. If you haven't seen V for Vendetta, it's a really cool movie about payback. And um, that was my statement. And uh, so we went to the trunk or treat and on the way there, I don't know what we were fighting about in the car, but we were whispering and I have a recording of her saying, I don't want to have to do to you what I'm going to do to you. I have this on recording. Okay. So we go to the trunk or treat. She doesn't even acknowledge my existence. All right. Um, and, uh, we leave the trunk or treat and we get home and she goes, we need strawberries. That's what she tells me. I go, okay. And she goes, go to the store and go get strawberries. Now, I do all the grocery shopping in the home. I do all the grocery shopping. Um, I do all the cooking, all the grocery shopping. Um, and she goes, we need strawberries. And I say, we don't need strawberries. I said, there is, um, you know, chicken, milk, fish, whatever. Whatever you need, we have. I was like, 
apples, whatever. We don't need strawberries. We have grapes. We don't need strawberries. And she goes, well, the kids want strawberries. And I said, well, and I, again, I have this all on recording. And I was like, we don't need it. I was like, give them something else. And she's like, she goes, well, are you going to go? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to the store to get strawberries. No. And she's like, oh, well, when are you going to go grocery shopping? And it was like, just really weird. Like, let it go about the strawberries. And it was going on for like 45 minutes about trying to get me to go to the store and get strawberries. And I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going. And um, she goes, you know what? I'll take them. And I'm going to the store to go get strawberries. I'm like, great. Good idea. You go. I was like, but you don't have to take them. Leave them. I was like, they can stay with me and you go. I'll see you in 20 minutes. And she goes, no, I'm going to take them. And I was like, all right, fine. Goodbye. And I give the kids a kiss goodbye. And I said, all right, bye. And um, so they went to the store to go get strawberries. And um, I went downstairs to lift weights. And uh, I, I come upstairs and uh, they were gone for about an hour and a half while I was lifting weights. And she said she was just going to the store to get strawberries. And um, so all of a sudden, I hear a banging on my door. And I say, who is it? And they say, it's the police. And uh, so I open the door. And they say, we're serving you with a restraining order. And I said, okay. I said, I'm going to record this conversation. They said, that's okay. So I recorded the conversation. I was told by the police I was not arrested. um, But I was told I had 15 minutes to get a suitcase, call someone, and leave my home. And she alleges... And I strangled her. Um, And I did not. Okay. So I called my friend and he came to pick me up. I packed a suitcase and I left my home. And I had a court date for a hearing three weeks down the road. And, uh, so for those three weeks, I left the home and I had no contact with my kids. Guys, I got to pause this for a second. Okay. I, um, I had no contact with my kids. I didn't know where they thought I was. I didn't know what they were told. I don't know if she told them that I attacked her. I didn't know anything. I just had to leave my home. And uh, it felt like, like a concussion. And the reason I say that is because I felt like I was knocked over my head and everything went dark and my entire life when I came back to was over. And I had no idea what was going on. And um, I stayed on a friend's couch, the one that picked me up for about four days. And then I called my father And I told him what had happened. And I said, I need a place to stay because I can't just stay on my friend's couch. 
And um, so I came to my father's place and he had a pullout couch and uh, I slept on the pullout couch and um, I, the only thing I can compare this to is being lost at sea because I didn't know how to function in the world. Um, I was crying. I was throwing up. I couldn't get out of bed. I was like catatonic on the ground. Um, I'd never been away from my kids more than like three days for like a business. But I could not believe that this is what she pulled. And I couldn't contact her. I couldn't contact my kids. And like I said, I didn't know where they thought I was. So I hired a lawyer and um, we started trying to beat the restraining order. And because I'm a technologically savvy guy, um, I started putting together my evidence to fight this. And um, so we have a ring camera doorbell and I had the video from the day that she alleges that I assaulted her. So I took the all the ring camera doorbells, the footage, and downloaded everything from that day, from 6 a.m. in the morning when I let the dog out to 11 o'clock at night when I was last seen, okay? And every time in between, I documented everybody who was in and out of the house. I documented because there was friends over, there were people that were in the house. <clears throat> and then I documented, I lined up the ring camera doorbell, all that footage, and then I also lined up the recordings from that day, and then I lined up phone records. There was no video from inside the house, okay? But I lined, I made this huge timeline of videos, recordings, phone logs, text messages, um, tons of stuff, and I created this timeline of the day of this alleged incident. And what I did was if she was going to be cross-examined by my lawyer, he was going to have to ask her what time did this alleged incident happen? And whatever time she would have said, she would have perjured herself. Okay. Um, because I didn't do it and I couldn't believe that she did this to me. Oh, Oh, and one more thing that kind of hurts her credibility is that she says that I attacked her. She alleges I attacked her on October the 17th, but it wasn't until October the 30th that she reported the restraining order. So if I attacked her, why did she wait two weeks to report it to the police? So I had no choice but to be patient. Um, and the hearing for the, for the restraining order, there were 32 other couples 
that day and they said, we can't get to all of you. So they dismissed me. It was the three weeks and they dismissed me. And then um, I had another hearing and um, they dismissed that one. And then I filed an appeal and the appeal was the last day of, I mean, the last appointment of the day to be heard. And um, the judge, because of the severity of the allegations, didn't even want to hear it. He's like, nope, we're upholding the restraining order. So ultimately, um, she – so what I forgot is that my – if you're technologically savvy – my iCloud account was linked to my son's iPad, okay? So all this evidence that I was creating, this is speculation, but if she went on my son's iPad, she could have seen the evidence that I was creating, okay? So what had happened was, is December 7th was supposed to be my trial, to fight the restraining order, December the 7th. On December 6th, she came in with a settlement. And the settlement was, is that, first of all, she said that I was violent, because if you've listened to prior episodes, she said I was unmedicated for my bipolar disorder. And if you listen to prior episodes, you heard that I had gone to a marriage counselor and agreed to take bipolar medication to improve my marriage, even though I wasn't bipolar and I had all kinds of horrible reactions to the medication. So she said that I had to get a psychiatric evaluation. That was the first thing. Number two is that I had to have supervised visits with my children. I was only allowed from 4 to 6.30, twice a week on the weekdays, and six hours on the weekend, okay? Um, and I had to have a supervisor. And now the third thing, which is actually so absurd that it's laughable, is that I had to pay her $3,000 for her lawyer bills. So essentially, I paid for a restraining order to be put on myself. Oh, and the last thing is, is that I am also responsible for every bill in the house. So I have to pay the full mortgage, full electric, full gas, full sewer, full internet, full cell phone, literally every bill in the house I am responsible for until we get the parameters of the divorce figured out and the finances figured out. So... In order for all this to come to fruition, it was 42 days of I missed Thanksgiving. I missed just everything. I missed, you know, my sports practices that I would go to with the kids all the time. I just missed my kids. I missed them. And I didn't know what they were told. I knew nothing. And after 40 two of the longest days in my life, the restraining order was dropped. And I got to have a phone conversation with the kids. 
And the moment I came on the Zoom call, they went wild. They went wild to see me. And I just started bawling. I couldn't help it. And I, and I said, they said, Daddy, are you at work? And I said, yeah, kids, I'm at work. And they're like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I work in the pharmaceutical industry. And I told my kids that I was selling coronavirus vaccines, shots. I didn't know what to say. I said, I have to sell, I have to help the doctors sell coronavirus medicine. And because I've been around people with coronavirus, I can't come home. And I said, as soon as I'm done selling all this medicine, I want to see you guys as soon as I can. And that's what I was able to tell the kids. And I would read them books on Zoom. And I would read them bedtime stories of books that I had bought. Um, It was getting close to Christmas time. And we would sing Christmas carols online and stuff. And, um, you know, eventually, uh, a couple weeks later, um, I got to have my supervised visits with my kids. And um, I took them to... Chuck E. Cheese on the very first day, if you know what Chuck E. Cheese is, basically an arcade for kids. And I took them to the zoo. Um, and I have a supervisor. My supervisor is actually my friend whose couch I crashed on for those first couple of days. Um, he's also the guy who helped me move. This guy has been the biggest blessing in my life. And, you know, I'm protecting his anonymity. But again, buddy, if you're listening, I appreciate you. And um, so... Um, I'm still doing, well, the thing is, is that this friend, he works during the week. So I said, my supervised visits, I'm supposed to see my kids from four to six 30 during the week, twice a week, and also six hours in the weekends. But my supervisor works during the week. Um, so I'm not allowed to see him during the week and I only see him on the weekends and, um, I'm fighting in the court right now, um, to drop supervised visits, um, so my ex, um, we started talking, if, if you're going through a divorce, um, I've, I've talked to a lot of people. This is very common. There's a, there's a um, court-monitored app, and it's called Our Family Wizard. And Our Family Wizard is the only way that we're allowed to communicate because it's, it's, it's viewed by the courts. It's viewed by the judge, which actually this is the most ideal situation for me because she can't even though she tries to, I'll get to the stories in a little while. She tries to lie and she, she does lie. Um, but it's hard to do when she's on our family wizard. Um, so, um, also by the way, I'm allowed to have video calls with the kids on any days that I don't have them. Okay. Um, so one of, uh, the early calls that I did with the kids is, um, so the kids come on the camera and, they are playing with roses at the, at the table. And I was like, what is that? And the kids go, mommy had roses delivered to the house. And I was like, who brought her roses? And they go, the mailman. And I said, oh, that's nice. And you can imagine my heart sinking. This is maybe, this is probably mm, six weeks after I left the home. Maybe six or seven weeks. And the kids are playing with roses. Now, 
So I sent her a message on um, Our Family Wizard. And I said, it appears that you are dating again, which is fine. Obviously, I'm not going to show face. And honestly, let her be somebody else's problem. But I said, if you are dating again, I said, please just restrain or refrain from introducing the children to another male presence until the parameters of the divorce are finalized. Because I don't want men coming in and out of my kid's life. Um, so she wrote back. She said something along the lines of like, um, no, I'm not dating uh, – you know, these were sent by a girlfriend or something like that. I'm like, bullshit, whatever. Um, so anyway, um, so I came to pick up the kids for a supervised visit later that weekend. And um, I had written her a message. And I said in the message, I said, um, keep in mind, the police told me I had 15 minutes to pack a suitcase and leave my home. And I was on day like eight weeks. Like I packed a suitcase and I was on like eight weeks of living out of this suitcase at my father's house. Um, but you know what? I was making it work and I'm still making it work because I still only have that stuff. But one of the things I wanted is I'm, I'm into exercise and I lift weights and I had those, um, if you know, those adjustable dumbbells, they're like Bowflex dumbbells and they adjust on either side and they can go up to like 50 pounds. They're expensive. They were like three or $400 uh, dollar dumbbells. And then, um, I have a weight bench and I said to her, I was like, I want my weight bench and my dumbbells from the home. And she said, okay, um, I will, I'll give them to you when you come to, when you drop off the kids after the visit. So I said, okay. And, um, so I get to the house and I have my, my visit with the kids and we have a good time and whatever. And I come back and I say, where's my dumbbells? And she said, I set them out by the road and they're not there anymore. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, they were stolen. And I was like, are you kidding me? And, um, of course she goes into victim mode and goes, don't yell at me. And I was like, you just put like a $500 bill out by the road. And I was like, nobody saw this. I was like, what? You put it out like garbage. Like, what did you do? And she's like, it's gone. And I was like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. So she posted this, uh, post on Facebook. Like it was going to make any difference. And somebody sent me the post and I saw that she took I, – I can post it on Instagram. Uh, she took my dumbbells as well as basically what it looks like is she took everything that was in my closet or our joint closet and dumped it into a laundry basket. And she put the laundry basket on top of the, the um, weight bench and put it out on the side of the road like garbage. And someone drove by and took three quarters of my wardrobe – I'm talking suits, ties, pants – everything plus $500 worth of exercise equipment and is all gone. All my stuff is gone. Okay. I was livid, livid. Um, so she went back to her lawyer and said that I cursed her out, which I didn't do because I'm not an idiot. Uh, she said I cursed her out and she wanted to put another restraining order on me and she wanted me to spend Christmas in jail. And, uh, her lawyer, I guess, talked her out of it. And, um, so whatever I didn't, but, um, she's just nuts. And then, um, so then my kids, I pick them up on another visit and, um, they go, my kids go, uh, 
they're hanging out with this new kid that I hadn't heard about. And I was like, oh, tell me about the new kid. And they're telling me about it. And I was like, oh, they're like, yeah, this kid comes over and plays at the house. And I said, oh, okay. I was like, you know, do you have fun or whatever? And like, yeah, she's real fun, whatever. And I was like, um, I was like, does the mommy come over too? And they go, no, just the daddy. And I go, oh. And I go, you know, what's the daddy's name? And they tell me. And I go, oh. And I was like, okay. And I was like, so this guy comes over with his daughter and they play with you. And they said, yeah, and we went to go see Christmas lights too. And I go, oh, okay. Interesting. Wish you could see me right now. I'm rolling my eyes. Um, and then they go, um, and then they start talking about the roses that were delivered to the house again. And they go, yeah, Painter John sent mommy roses. That was so nice. And I was like, how do you know it was Painter John? And they go, because mommy told us it was Painter John. And I was like, oh, does Painter John come over and play with you? And they go, no. They're like, um, they're like, no, but he just sent mommy flowers. And I said, oh, okay, whatever. Like, you know, listen, of course it's upsetting. You know, this was this was the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Um, but knowing what I know about narcissism and knowing that I was her supply, I know she needed a new supply. And I have recordings of me in the house telling her, I'm like, you know, after I discovered that she was a narcissist, I say to her, I was like, you will have me replaced in six months or less. I told her that and I have a recording of it because I knew she would. Um, and, uh, so I, these kids are telling me about the roses and I'm like trying to change the conversation. And, um, so I get, the kids back to the home to drop them off. And I see a pickup truck in front of the home and I go, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And, uh, a guy comes walking out of the house and I look at the guy and I didn't know what to do. And I said, you know what? I go, what's your name? I said to the guy and he goes, John. All right. And he just kept walking. I said, okay. And uh, I had a flashback, if you've listened to prior episodes, I had a flashback to the situation, if you've listened before, about how I helped move my next out of her ex-boyfriend's house. And I said on the other podcast, I, the guy never said a word to me. He never said a word to me. And she claimed he was abusive she claimed he was bipolar and psycho and all this stuff. And the guy just kept taking things out of his house and bringing it out and putting it on the curb. And here I am seeing the new guy walking out of my home. And all I did is I said, what's your name? And he goes, John. I just nodded and I let John leave. And I said nothing, just like the last guy said nothing to me. So is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. And I know, you know, they say he was probably there all along, you know, he was probably there all along. Um, but it just, it, it, everything that goes on with my necks is just predictable. It's predictable because she's a narcissist and, you know, it's like having a crystal ball. So I knew that she was going to try and get a new supply. Um, so like then she, you know, through our family wizard. So I said to, I did another call with kids and I said to the kids, which I do, I've, I've, so I've have like a new social life being out of my home and I have met people and I met someone, not a woman. I met a man 
who has kids my age and I became friends with this guy. And he's like, yeah, let's, let's have our, our, you know, kids hang out. And I said, all right, cool. So, um, I said on the call with the kids, I said, Hey guys, I was like, I met a friend and he has kids your age. And my next goes, I thought we said that we weren't going to introduce them to anybody for six months. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Cause I just said he, but we're not introducing anybody to six months. I said, I have a friend and she goes, you know what? Have a good night. And she hung up the call on me. And then her lawyer messaged my lawyer and said that I'm trying to introduce my kids to what's called a paramour, which is like a significant other. Um, and that didn't happen. So she's literally, I mean, and I, I record all of our, my calls with the kids because I know she's going to lie. Um, and she just continues to lie. She, she just continues to lie on a court monitored app. Um, and on zoom calls. Um, and I record everything to this day. Um, most recently, uh, she, I didn't know had the kids coronavirus vaccinated. Um, she does not have sole custody of the kids. It's joint custody, but it wasn't discussed with me and I'm not against being vaccinated, the kids being vaccinated. Um, I was upset that the, it wasn't discussed with me. And also, um, she was trying to say that the kids had coronavirus and they tested negative on a PCR and a rapid test, but they tested at, uh, positive on a, on a at home test. And, um, so I missed a week of visitation with them because they were quarantining and, uh, I came to find it's because she had them vaccinated and they were having COVID like symptoms. So, um, and then I messaged her on the Our Family Wizard app and I said, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, you had the kids vaccinated and this was never talked about with me. And she wrote back, she had the nerve to write back, um, this was discussed with you and you're a liar. And I said, well, we've only had communication one way over the last three months. So if this was communicated with me, please send me that documentation. And she just never answered. So um, we haven't really gotten in front of a judge yet. But she's really coming off, I mean, as far as I can see, very manipulative, um, a big liar. Um, and unfortunately, I have to go through this legal process to clear my name. Um, I have tons of evidence. I have a mountain of evidence. Um, and, you know, I'm battle tested as hell. Because I went through the darkest 42 days of my life. I, like I said, I was crying. I was vomiting, uh, dry heaving, just, and I, and I, listen, I am so lucky for the support system I have. Um, I got a good, you know, father and a good stepmother. I have friends. It's funny. You reconnect with people after you get out of the relationship that you were alienated from and you'd be like, you know, Hey, my, my ex said that like, you know, you were talking shit about me and like, you know, about X, Y, Z situation. And my friends would be like, no, that never happened, man. Like we were always cool with you. She was crazy. And like, you know, she would always have me convinced that like people would say, Oh, you know, Oh, so-and-so sees how bad you treat me. You know, they see it, they see it. And no one felt that way, man. So remember before I was telling you this story about how I was listening to a podcast when I was educating myself about narcissism. And um, so I emailed that guy 
about how he ever got the courage to leave his kids. And I'm sitting there one day and I'm just scrolling through my phone and I see an email and it's from this guy from the podcast. And he's like, hey, how's it going? He's like, um, you know, I, I, I can really feel what you're going through, you know, in your message. He goes, I'm sorry I didn't respond back. It was like two months later. He's like, I'm sorry I didn't respond back. He's like, but he goes, um, his ex found his podcast and put a gag order on his podcast. So he's no longer allowed to do it. But he goes, um, you know, I can't do my podcast until my divorce is final. He goes, but here's my phone number and I'd like for you to call me. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I was like, this is wild because I was listening to this other guy's podcast and now I get to talk to the guy on the phone. So um, I've actually, like I said, the name of his podcast is called Surviving the Covert Narcissist. And the guy's name is Phil. And I've actually got to connect with Phil on the phone and we talk very, very frequently. And it, we came to find out, you know, that he and I have very similar situations. And um, so, you know, we were talking for probably almost a week and we were saying, you know, like I was telling Phil, I was like, you don't, you know, you don't understand how many people you helped with your podcast. And he's like, yeah, he's like, well, he's like, um, you know, I'd love to have you on in some capacity at one time or another. And I was like, I would love to do that. That's incredible. You know, like, like I can't, it's like watching a TV show and all of a sudden like you get to hang out with the guy who made the TV show. It's so cool. Um, but I told him, I was like, you know, your divorce is, is who knows when it's going to be over. And I was like, you know, um, and he's like, well, why don't you start your own podcast? And I was like, really? And he's like, well, yeah, he's like, you need this healing now. Um, so, you know, Phil, if you're listening to this, man, um, thank you for this inspiration to start the podcast. And, uh, you know, I hope that you get to get back on your feet soon and then you can help people. And, and, uh, you know, for anybody listening to this, you know, check out surviving the covert narcissist. Maybe we can do some sort of mashup thing in the future or something like that. Um, so one of the other things is that she had me, um, take a psychiatry evaluation. Um, I saw a psychiatrist, um, and I was not diagnosed as bipolar, um, I was diagnosed with a, um, what did they call it? It's a adjustment disorder because I've fucking lost my entire life. I'm living on my dad's couch. I am nothing is the same in my life in the last 90 days besides my job. Thank God for my job. But other than that, nothing is the same. My entire life is different. Um, and I have all the faith in the world that the cracks in her armor are coming because she can't control the narrative that I'm abusive and all these things. When I've had the psychiatry report, I wasn't diagnosed as bipolar. She's trying to contest it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The cracks are going to start to run. The law is the law. I am going to get joint custody of my kids. The house that I bought will ultimately either be sold or she'll have to buy me out. Um, I kind of hope she buys me out. I kind of hope – I think that's why she's trying to get into another relationship now because this house is, say, eight to ten months from being sold. So if she's trying to get into another relationship now, she probably wants another guy to buy me out of the house, which honestly, I'll probably make more money being bought out of the house than if it's sold. Um, because there's not a lot of equity in it because of the issues with septic issues. There's, 
you know, flooding issues. There's a lot of work. I mean, I put a lot of money into that house. I put a lot of work in it. I don't know. I don't know. Things are up in the air. Um, but I will tell you this. I created this podcast as an outlet to tell my story. Um, I feel like the story that I told on this episode was maybe a little more scattered than the other episodes um, because this was the most hurt that I've gone through um, telling you know the story about the restraining order and stuff. Um, the restraining order was over. Um, she can't really do much with the violence because she settled it and I adhered to the things that she wanted. And now I have the rest of my life ahead of me. And right now, this is me dimming the gaslight. <laughs> this is my healing journey from narcissistic abuse. I have so much to heal from. I need to forgive myself for having gone through the red flags that I went through in order to create a family. Um, I have to understand my triggers and certain things you know, will set me off because of the trauma that I endured while being in that relationship. I can't imagine in my future life ever forcing myself through those red flags again. My mindset right now is focused on progress. And some days are better than others. But right now, man, it's just about my kids and my money. I'm going to get my kids and I'm going to get my money. And I'm going to be free from a narcissist. And I'm going to heal. I'm going to overcome. And when I do that, while I do that, I want to heal with you guys. Because I know that you guys can relate. You guys have now heard my story. There's going to be things that I'm going to forget that like probably like are going to come out in other interviews. Or like I'm going to do updates on my court situations. Um, as long as I never get found out that I'm doing this podcast. Um, that's a big phobia of mine. If I ever do get found out, just know that's probably what happened and, uh, I'll be back when the divorce is over. But, um, for right now, man, it's full steam ahead. And, uh, this podcast has been therapeutic. It's been cathartic. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I have this community that I've discovered on Instagram of all you guys who have just been so supportive and so great. And I've heard so many stories and, um, it's just exciting. It's exciting to know that I'm going to live. Yeah, I'm going to have interaction with this idiot for until my kids are at least 18. But like, I'm free. And it, and somebody said to me recently, and I freaking love it. Somebody said to me recently, you don't have to live like that anymore. Wow. You don't have to live like that anymore. I'm free. I'm free. I'm out of jail. And uh, how exciting. How exciting. So listen, guys, um, I thank you so much for sticking with me over these last couple episodes, allowing me to tell my story. Um, it wasn't easy. I admit that, you know, in the in-between times, I actually had some emotional hangovers from last episode to this episode. Um, but it's, it's all part of the journey. And um, I hope you'll stick with me. I hope you're going to come on the show and you're going to share your journey and I hope we're going to heal together and um, I hope we, we get stronger. You know, We'll do it. I have all the faith in the world. I have all the faith in the world. So thank you so much for you guys listening. Um, again, on Instagram, I am dimming 
underscore the underscore gaslight. Um, and if you want to be a part of the show, I would love to hear your story. Um, email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com. Um, thank you again for listening and, uh, I'll see you guys next time.